in the right place for the December 2017 Voices of Experience. Selling from the stage, yucky, slimy, oh, disgusting. No, no, wait, hang on a second. It could be brilliant if you do it the way that Michelle Villalobos teaches us. Well, Michelle, a lot of people have an allergy and it's allergic to selling, selling from the stage. Talk to us about how this works. Let's unpack this. Start at the beginning. What do we need to know about selling products, services, programs from the stage when we're delivering a paid keynote seminar or workshop? Well, let me start by acknowledging that I was one of those people. I was sales phobic, sales allergic, however you want to refer to it. I spent years getting up in front of people, even in my own events, and refusing to offer anything, refusing to sell something. I had this belief, I had this you know, kind of, uh, I had this belief that sales was icky. It was bad. It was, it was something that people did to you, right? And I even had a partner once that I'd created a program with, and she's like, "We've got to sell this at the summit." And at the last minute, I like backed out. She got mad at me. She stormed out of the event because I was just so scared to get up in front of a room full of people and offer something because I thought they're not going to like me anymore, right? Like I've given them all this value, but the minute I do that, like I'll break the relationship. And then I had that belief, it came from a place of, you know, not wanting to be sold to, right? So I, I resisted that. But the point is, Women's Success Summit number eight, I dropped out, one of my best, biggest sponsors dropped out two weeks before, and I was like, I have to figure out how to make back $15,000. And I only had two weeks to do it, so I got on a plane, and I was like, I'm going to have to make an offer. And so I consumed all this, how to sell from the stage stuff, and I got up on that stage, and for the first time ever, I took 20 minutes out of a two-day event, and I offered my own stuff. And the response was extraordinary. And people, like, it was wonderful. I had clients for the next three months. There was some bad stuff. I underpriced myself, so I ended up working my butt off um, entirely too much to make that money. But for the first time, I got this experience of like, wait, not only was I able to help myself, right, to make money, but I was now able to serve these people. And I had these new clients that I was adding a lot of value to. And they were grateful for the value that I brought to them. So I had, that was the, the when I, that when I broke that belief, right? That sales is bad, and it took many, many, many more opportunities for me to really, truly like master it and shift it. Uh, and and so what I've learned is that, and this is really important, that when you're b delivering a message that's powerful and you're adding value to people's lives, there's only so much they're going to get out of a one hour or hour and a half presentation, and and true integration usually doesn't happen right there in that moment, right? They need some sort of follow-up. They need some sort of, at least some of them do, the people that are really committed. And so if you're not going to make an offer to them, really you're doing them a disservice. So number one is, is breaking that belief system that and shifting that mindset of like sales is bad to sales is service. And so then the second thing is I would never get up on a stage where I've been hired to speak and, and not, not check in with the person who hired me to make sure that whatever offer I'm going to make is okay with them, okay? So that's another thing. I would never spring this on somebody. And people have sprung it on me at my events, and that's not cool. So what we do in order to kind of bridge this situation, especially because we do a lot with women, we do a very soft offer from the stage. And most of my clients very rarely have ever gotten any pushback on this. But what we do is we deliver a ton of value. 
Somewhere inside of the presentation, we offer something of value for free, whether that's the slides, whether that's Googleicious, whether that's our six-figure retreat quick start guide or whatever it is we're offering. We offer that for free and we get people to opt in. That's the first step, right? Now we've got their email, now we have permission to, to communicate with them and we start to send them, we send them what we promise, which is super important, and then we can continue to communicate with them and the call to action there can be, hey, come have a conversation with us. So that's one really easy way to quote unquote sell from the stage without selling from the stage. A slightly more intensive version of that is at the end of the presentation, if I have permission, which I always get, I can say, hey, has this been valuable for all of you in the room? Like, raise your hand if this has been valuable. And people's hands go up. And I, raise your hand if some of you are interested in learning more about how I work and maybe working with me or my team. Some of the hands go up. I say, great, come see me in the back of your room, back of the room, bring me your business card, write F you on the business card. Ha ha, that always gets a laugh. And and we'll talk, we'll have, we'll set up a conversation to see about working together, if and how we can serve you. And just to That's be clear, it. just to be clear, Michelle, F U stands for Oh sorry, follow up. <laughs> um, and so the idea is that from there, and right there and then when we're, you know, the best way to do is we schedule that appointment right there. I've got somebody with me and if it's me who's running the sessions then I'll do it or if she's doing it she'll put it on her calendar because they're, they're you know they're most associated with us right then and there and so what we do then we call that a strategy session some people call it a discovery call you can call it whatever you want I have clients who call it a heart-to-heart -heart, uh, you know what a branding audit whatever you want to call it and then on that call is where we go deep with somebody and we really get a sense of whether we can serve them and from there, if we can, we put them into one of our small events like a retreat or one of those programs to really get a sense and help them out, give them a lot of value and from there we can upsell them into our, our one year program. I love what you're saying because at every single step of this, you are focused on what I call the sale of the moment. Mm -hmm. yes. So when you're on stage, the sale of the moment is opt-in to get this fabulous piece of value. Yep. Then they get the email. The sale of the moment is schedule that discovery call. Mm -hmm. On there, the sale of the moment is come to the small event. Yep. And then at the small event, the sale of the moment is come to the big super duper event or sign up for our year long coaching or whatever it may be. Exactly. So it's meeting people where they are yes. and just getting them ready for that next step. Right. We're not trying to eat the elephant all no. in one bite. Exactly. And we, we also take a very pull versus push approach. You know, in the past, before I started this career, before I, I got into this model, I did some sales training. I, I helped, I supported sales, and there was a very pushy approach. It's like, I sold art, I've sold real estate, so I've sold other things before, and the approach has always been, you know, he, you know, push the product, right, or push the service. What we've taken on instead, because, well, partly because what we do is so, it's so important to have the right people in the room and in the group, we take very much more a pull approach. Like, if you're interested, come see us, set up a call, and then on the call, it's very much also, all right, can we serve you, and if so, how committed are you to this? Like, would you, are you really ready to dive all the way in? And if you are, okay, we'll invite them. So it's very much always an invitation rather than an offer, I would say. Wow, that's a great distinction, and it's about, Qualify, filter, yeah. and sort. 
Yes. Right. Well, qualify, filter, sort, invite. Invite. Invite the right ones mm -hmm. that are committed, that are really in a position to be one of your breakthrough success stories. Yes. Because none of us can afford to have an unsuccessful client. Right. Client selection is so super important. I think people don't get that either. Yeah. And David, we've made that mistake. Like, I'm, I've absolutely made the sale because I could. And so have my people. And we've all suffered as a result. So it's not worth it anymore. Like, we've really, really got that clear now that, and, and it's, you know, it took some years, but for the last couple of years, we've been better and better. And now there, we actively do not invite people that are not a fit. Like, we really, and my, my, my person who runs these sessions tells me I didn't even make an offer. And I'm like, cool. I trust you. You know, it's like it, it's really got to be someone who is who we really believe is going to be successful with or without us, and we can accelerate that success. Like we can add so much value, make it more fun, make it happen faster, make it happen bigger. One of the things we bring to our clients, and then we'll go back to this other to topic, is that we have them see themselves as bigger than they see themselves. Like, or we show them actually better yet. We hold up a mirror and we show them how they're bigger than they than they even thought. And that's why our conversations and, and everything, you know, generally speaking, they go they go well. And then you're simply saying, if you want to get from point A to point B, we will make the journey worth the trip. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is women especially, because that's who I work with mostly they, they want to be surrounded by other people. Like they need that. We need that container. We need that. We need love, you know, in business. And it's such a weird thing to say. And it's something people don't talk a lot about because it's not a very masculine thing. And business has always been very masculine. But women, you know, they need to be loved in business through the sales process, through the marketing process, and in, in the actual service itself. This is Mary Kelly. This is Philip Van Hooser. This is Patty Danucci, and you're listening to Voices of Experience. That's right. What do you do when an enthusiastic audience member comes up to you after a speech or a keynote and says, will you be my coach? Are you available for coaching? Do you do coaching? Well, not so fast. Hang on. There's a right way and there's a wrong way, and Robert Stack is going to teach us how to do it the right way. All right, Robert, let's talk about coaching. A lot of speakers want to get into coaching. They're unprepared, uncertified, untrained. This is a problem. Talk about the difference between coaching and what maybe a lot of speakers think it is, which is, well, that's just one-on-one -on -one consulting. That's just one-on-one -on -one training. Someone asks for me to be their coach, I'll, sh I'll say, sure, I can be your coach, and that's not always a smart answer. Let me get right to the definition of coaching, because that, I think, will help everybody. What is professional coaching? Um, I was professionally trained by an ICF, International Coach Federation School, that accredits all the coach training schools. And the definition that the ICF is putting out there globally for thousands of coaches is that they define coaching as partnering with clients in a thought-provoking and creative process that inspires them to maximize their personal and professional potential. Okay, and the coaches that I know that are in my world, which are professional coaches, you know, honor the client as the expert in his or her life and you know work and believe every client is capable of being resourceful and whole. So if I'm a speaker and I'm giving keynotes and seminars and workshops and I've got folks in my audience 
They're coming up to me on a regular basis saying, I'd like you to be my coach. Do you do coaching? Can you be my executive coach? I should probably go get some training. You could ask five different coaches that question, and you're going to get five approaches and five answers. So I'd like to, as somebody with an NSA who feels a responsibility to kind of clarify the lines that have been blurred, why don't I go and just kind of check off each area so that our audience understands exactly how coaching should be showing up? That'd be great. Okay. First of all, let's go to the, the most obvious one, therapy. One of the reasons I personally encourage training is that the coaches learn to distinguish between someone who needs therapy, coaching, or mentoring. And therapy, for example, in my mind, deals with healing pain, dysfunction, and conflict within an individual or in relationships. The focus is on resolving these difficulties and healing the emotional self. Okay, going over to consulting, which is the one in NSA, you will see a lot of people saying, I'm a coach, when in fact they're really consultants. And the consulting piece really, in my mind, again, is individuals or organizations, you know, retain consultants for their expertise. But the consultant will set the agenda they hear the solutions, and often even execute the solution. Coaches, on the other hand, believe the individual can make the decision, can resolve the problem, and find their own solutions within themselves. And finally, you know, and again, this another blurred line is mentoring. Mentors, in my mind, are experts who share their wisdom, who share advice, they could counsel, they could coach, they definitely straddle several fences. And so they're kind of universal. But again, a mentor is merely sharing. They don't have a specific agenda. Usually you go to a mentor and say, you know, I saw you do something, uh, what do you think? And you, you elicit the uh, advice and the wisdom. And then finally, you know, this is just to bring it up because People look at sports coaches, and we, you know, every day we're hearing coach this, coach that, you know. And if you look very carefully at athletic coaches, what are they doing? They are experts in a sport, and they are encouraging individuals or teams to get a result, the result usually being winning. So the athletic coach is looking at the behavior of his individuals or teams, the collaborative effort. The uh, sportsmanship, all of it, is being looked at in terms of the result. But again, the athletic coach is pretty much driving the team. Big distinction, and the big one is coaches that truly are in that place of being a professional coach are going to always turn it to the client and say, what do you think the solutions are? What have you done in the past? Their questioning will always be about bringing it back to the client. I'm curious, how educated do you think our individual clients and prospects are? So when they're asking for coaching, do they even know the difference between coaching and consulting that you so brilliantly just shared? So if someone says, well, could you coach me, would an ethical answer be, well, number one, I'm not a certified coach. 
I don't do coaching, but I do one-on-one -on -one consulting with people like you to help you solve this kind of problem. Is that really what you're interested in? So do we have to educate our client base about some of these differences that you just laid out? I personally feel both sides are responsible. I think the professional coaches need to take a stronger stand to educate the public, or in this case, our NSLA membership, need to understand what real professional coaching looks like. On the other side, I believe every member of NSA needs to educate themselves on coaching. They need to do their homework. Unfortunately, as you know, we have a dynamic in our market where um, many speakers get caught up in selling the program or selling the coaching versus serving the client. Let's take a deep dive into technology trends for speakers with Sierra Madro, CSP. <laughs> there we go. Sierra Madro. 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 Like the modern woman that you are. Or like the Sierra Madre Mountains. That's also good. Yeah. That's also good. See, and, and then we're doing a whole outtake segment where we'll like just throw this in. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, I'm sorry. Okay, so that, that, that needs to stop That right would be there. a bad thing to do. That needs that to stop. That was probably, he could probably hear that. I, we, we, we all could hear that. All right. Are we all set? We're rolling. We've been rolling. Tech trends for speakers. Hit me. <laughs> well, there, there are a lot of different technologies that are going to be affecting speakers. But one of the things that I see is a huge trend that is affecting us both as speakers and as business people, because we are both, is actually mobile technology. And now mobile is not exactly new, you'd think. Cell but phones, iPhones, all that good stuff. Cell phones, iPhones, tablets, uh, anything that's really helping you to be productive and work well when you're not stationary at your desk. And that's a trend on two sides. Uh, the first is you are a person, a regular worker who has to get things done. And mobile technology is something that is increasing your ability to get things done in more places, get it done faster, and get it done cheaper and better. Now, doesn't that sound exciting? So this is about our personal productivity on the first level. Yes, on the first level, because we are all working. I mean, we have, to, we have to communicate with people, we have to write new speeches, we have to write emails and work on our websites and all of that kind of marketing stuff that has to happen every day. And mobile technology allows us to do that in a at least as productive way and frequently more productive because one of the fun side effects, I use an iPad exclusively to run my business and I don't use a regular desktop computer, I don't use a laptop, I use my iPad. And I can do that because I've learned new ways of working that are more productive. And part of that's because we don't have that sense of multitasking. Multitasking be such a killer for your productivity. And having that single focus can really keep you going quite well. So let's talk about how, how does working on a mobile device keep you focused? 
Well, think about your standard laptop. Uh, I would be willing to bet if you've got a web browser up, most people have between, oh, 10 and 25 browser tabs active at all times. And you're switching back and forth, back, boop, 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 here and there. All of that is a task switch inside your head and it keeps you from focusing on what you really need to do. Anytime those little notifications pop up and say, new email, Facebook message, somebody posted, all of those kinds of things can distract you. So give us an insight on how you work on the iPad free from all of that. So one thing that I do is I have turned off most notifications. Um, and that's something that I highly recommend everybody do to keep your sanity. Turned off most notifications and then I also stay in one application at a time for the most part. Um, because it's that switching between applications that causes not only a computer overhead, but a brain overhead as well. And that's what keeps you from being really productive. So it keeps you focused in on one thing at a time and really good with that. But the second way that mobile is going to be really important to you is because of your clients. Your clients are using mobile to find you. In 2016, it was the first year that mobile devices accessing the internet surpassed traditional desktop and laptop. So that means you are being found on mobile, which means you'd better make sure that your website and your access to you is really effective on mobile because that's how you're being found. So I actually, a lot of people talk about mobile responsive websites. Those are a great first step. But I urge you to consider going to the next level and going mobile first. Because if you design to mobile, it will scale up to that gargantuan 22-inch monitor that you think somebody's looking at you on when they're actually looking at you on a 5-inch screen. So, and so the action step is talk to our web designer about a mobile-first yes. website revamp. Yes, mobile-first website revamp and optimize it for a small screen, not the big screen that your web designer is probably using to show you the beauty of your beautiful new website. Awesome. Part two is? Well, that's the, the part two is actually working on the with your clients because your clients are finding you on the mobile. Yes. The next trend that I recommend you think about is the alphabets, AR and VR. Now, I know most people are not immersed in technology the way I am. So AR is augmented reality and VR is virtual reality. Now, these are both two sexy hot new trends that you're seeing. And the difference between the two because they're frequently discussed at the same time. Augmented reality is when you can see the actual real world around you and it's being augmented, added to, with digital information that you're probably seeing on either glasses or if you wanna get really sci-fi, contact lenses that are providing you with basically like a little window, a screen that floats over the top of reality. 
That's AR. Kind of like a heads-up display in a fighter yes, jet. Yes, exactly. And virtual reality is when you're immersed in a headset in a completely different world that is uh, an immersive experience and something that you have no sense of what's going on around you. Now, augmented reality and virtual reality are both going to affect the speaking business. Uh, if you think about AR, which is probably what will hit us first, AR is going to give us the capability to speak in front of an audience without having to have a lot of the physical overhead of it. I mean, think about the big stages you're on with the two IMAG screens on either end and how, how great that looks. But that's very expensive from a meeting professional side. If we, have, if we have augmented reality headsets, then the attendees can get that experience virtually without having to have it in the real world. And that's going to be a lot less expensive to have your slides pop up in a virtual little projector box versus having to actually pay for those great big projectors. Now, the fun side, and when we start looking a little bit more sci-fi, is when we start looking at virtual reality. Because right now, we think about attending a, a meeting or a conference at home. You're thinking about a webinar. And as we know, a lot of webinars, not the ones we do, of course, but a lot of webinars are boring. So what virtual reality is going to give us is the capability to experience a live conference from the privacy of our own home. And that's going to give us, as, as meeting professionals and as speakers, the capability to have a virtual event that still gives us that human interaction feeling without having to have the expense of flying people into a single location. Now, let's really go sci-fi, artificial intelligence which I can really use just to make me smarter. <laughs> yes, AI is another, I mean, thinking about the alphabets, artificial intelligence, AI, is really starting to take off as well. And that's gonna affect us in a number of fun ways. And one of the ways I think about is, a lot of us think about having an assistant. And we talk about having a virtual assistant, but what we really mean is somebody who's not sitting in our office, but it's still a human. In the next couple of years, you're likely to have a truly virtual assistant because you're gonna be able to have what are called chatbots, uh, which is kind of a robot who can text chat or uh, email back and forth with someone and it's completely using artificial intelligence to carry on a conversation that feels like a human, but is actually just a robot. But that kind of artificial, low-level artificial intelligence is gonna be available to us as business people very inexpensively and very soon. And that's something that I think will actually help us to leverage our time and our resources quite a bit better. So our next employee or our next subcontractor's name might be Siri or Alexa. <laughs> yes, and exactly. What, what kinds of things might they help us do besides like the usual customer service on the website sort of thing? Well, one of the easiest and probably most common would be scheduling. 
I mean, think about how many times you go back and forth. Oh, well, Tuesday at 10 a.m. works just great for me. No, no, now it doesn't. <laughs> oh, excuse me, I'm a, I'm a speaker's bureau. Are you available on April 23rd? So those kinds of scheduling conversations are really quite straightforward and something that an artificial intelligent chatbot could handle very easily and very humanely and is something that I see chatbots working for, for speakers particularly very soon. So scheduling is a very big one. Um, the, the kinds of things that are involved with travel we are already using chatbots as users and don't even know it. So frequently, some of those conversations you're having when the little window pops up in the bottom of the browser and says, hi, I'm Alice, can I help you? Uh, yeah, that's a chatbot. That is not actually a human sitting there, regardless of what clip art they're using to make it look human. <laughs> How about that? Well, Sierra, thank you so much. I, I cannot wait, and let me just say, Live long and prosper. <laughs> Live long and prosper. All right, the two most dreaded words in the speaking industry, cold calling. Still relevant, waste of time, magic bullet, we don't know. I'll tell you who knows, Lisa Ryan. All right, Lisa Ryan, you are here with 10 tips for cold calling success. Talk to us about your cold calling journey and then let's hit, let's hit the tips. Okay, well, you know what? Cold calling is one of the things that I do. I mean, like yourself, I use LinkedIn, I speak, I do all kinds of things to bring in leads. But what I found recently is that when it comes to getting results, cold calling has really been it. Now, mind you, it should be easy for me. I mean, I had a career of more than 20 years in sales, actually spending 80 to 120 phone calls a day selling electrical cord and cable into the maintenance department. That's so sexy. Should, That's oh. sexy right there. <laughs> yeah, it should be easy. But you know what? When it's selling me as a product, not so much. Very different. So for those of you who don't have the luxury of a sales background, first of all, take a deep breath because David and I are going to share with you 10 tips that you can start to take action on today to make cold calling a lot easier. Now notice, didn't say easy, it's not gonna be easy, but easier, just getting that first call out of the way. All right, we're ready for number one. All right, number one, you know what, you're gonna start with a list. So whether it's an association that you're calling on, you're conducting a search on LinkedIn, you're imagining the most wonderful places that you would like to speak, have a physical list. I use Excel just because that's easiest for me, but you wanna have the list in front of you so you can go bam, 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 down the list of calls instead of getting distracted and going to something else. Great, and how about number two? Send an email introduction, first of all, asking for help. How can, who is the person in charge of hiring your speakers for your next event or conference? We're taking a little bit of a step back by giving just that introductory email that sets the stage for us. Because what it's doing is the responses that you get could be, yes, I'm interested, call me back. And the cool thing about that, not a cold call. Or they might say, we never hire speakers or we only use industry speakers. Now you take them off your list, but it's the ones that are left now, then you have a pretty fresh list to start with. I love it. And how about number three? 
set a goal of five dials a day. Now notice the, I did not say five conversations. I did not say five contacts. What I said is five dials. Why? Because what I found particularly is that first call that you make, the phone weighs approximately 1,000 pounds. And if you can pick up the phone the first time and get the process started, then it starts to get easier. And after five calls, you, got to, you get in a little bit of a roll, and then after five calls, you decide, is this something I want to continue? I, you, you can continue. If you want to stop, you give yourself permission to stop, but make the five calls. And these five dials, this takes maybe half an hour? This could take less, this could take five minutes. This could take three minutes if you got five busy signals, doesn't matter. And then and then we leave a voicemail? We, leave, we definitely leave a voicemail. Do not waste that time. Somebody has a thing and we'll talk about scripting because I'm all about scripts, but we're going to leave a voicemail for that person because again, that's one more contact. They saw us on the email, now they're hearing our voice. So they've heard our name now twice. And what's the next one? Be very clear in what you're selling. You are, you're gonna to wanna to come up with some kind of snappy title and a description of your program. So many of us, heard, of us had heard it, you know, pick a lane, pick one speech that you're going to promote. Now you, you can be open about, uh, to talking about other opportunities, but have a definite starting point when you're making the calls. And what's the next one? Well, I, we talked about this a little bit, but I am all about scripts. So take the time and write down what you want to say. And you want to make sure that you're practicing enough and until it sounds natural and conversational. Now, when I either call or I leave a message, I like to start with, hey, it's Lisa Ryan. I'm calling from Gratigy in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm calling to follow up on the email I sent, blah, blah, blah. It's that comment, beautiful Cleveland, Ohio, which yes, from the depths of my heart, I feel. <laughs> but it starts a conversation and it kind of catches them off guard. And I've had more conversations with people just based on that and then it leads nicely into the conversation about the program. And well, and that does two things, right? Because it makes them laugh, a little bit of humor, mm -hmm. and it's also a personal connection because you, you do live in Cleveland and you do apparently love Cleveland. Yes, absolutely. So there you go. And what's the next step? Make the calls yourself. Now, I know that there's going to be lots of people who are going to vehemently disagree with me on this. And primarily, these are speakers that have been, they have people, you know, and they have people that they've been working with for a long time who can sell them as well as they sell themselves. But you know what? If you are a beginning speaker, please, please, please do not farm out your cold calling to somebody else to sell you. Pick up the phone. This is how you're going to learn what, what questions your customers have, the information that they want, and you'll better be able to give them the information as you figure out how they think. And I think the other key point is that even if you do eventually hire a salesperson, if you don't know how to sell you, you will never be able to train a salesperson to sell you either. Absolutely. Yep. What is our next nugget? When making each call, you want to have the organization's website up in front of you, either about the company itself or if you're calling about a specific conference or event, have that website up. Just because it's a cold call does not mean it has to be generic. Let the customer or potential prospect know that you did your homework. And that also shows that you're if you have the website up in front of you, you're going to be more relevant, ask better questions, you're going to have all of their their information up on the screen. So do you tell them that 
I've got your website up in front of me or I spent some time on your website in preparation for our chat today. Do you like mention it specifically? Oh, yeah. I just say, hey, I was looking at your website. I saw that you have an event coming up. I have a program that may be a fit and I wanted to see if it was worth having a conversation. And that's about five or 10 minutes of just kind of pre-research, looking at the website, not, not just calling into a void, but really calling with some of that market intelligence in front of you yeah, of I, who they are, what their theme is, what their dates are. You know, you can say, hey, the event's coming up in Orlando or Seattle or Boston or so you sound like an educated uh, partner and you don't sound like just a blind collar peddler pusher. Yeah. And I can also look at last year's event and see who they hired to speak so I can get an idea of what their budget is. Love that. What's next? The next is to use some kind of CRM, a customer relation management system, because you want to keep track of the conversations that you had. You know, what you talked about, the emails that you traded back and forth. That way, if that person either emails you or you call or calls you back, you can just go online and look at the information. I use HubSpot. It's free. It's really, really easy to use, and it helps me keep track. And it's real simple, real basic. It's not like one of these CRMs that's like flying a starship. No, no, definitely not. So just not. The, the basics should be enough. Yeah, the, all you need to do is to have the notes so that you can see where the last conversation left off. Love it. What's next up? I love this one, and please take this to heart. When you are on the phone, look for opportunities to refer other speakers. There's so many times that you'll be talking to a person and for whatever reason, you're not the right fit. They need somebody more technical. They need somebody with a different background. Don't try to fit yourself into something that's not good for you, but instead of just getting off the phone, ask them, well, how can I help you? I'm a member of NSA. I have contacts with lots of people in the speaking industry. Let me be a resource for you. So not only are you becoming a hero to that person because you're helping them out, but you're also helping out a fellow speaker. And it's a great chance to plug your NSA membership and make them aware if they were not aware of this thing called NSA. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not only should we never leave a speaking engagement without referring another speaker, but if you have somebody on the phone who has a need, never leave that phone call without referring another speaker. What's next? You know, when you're making cold calls, you're going to get rejected. It's not about you. Watch Frozen a couple times, let it go. What it's been said that it takes at least seven contacts before someone even knows who you are. So if you find a company or an organization that you know you would be perfect for and the person is totally rude to you on the phone, let it go. Call back in a couple weeks, chances are good that they're not going to remember your call anyway. And Lisa, you've got a bonus tip. Number 10B, number 11, what do we got? <laughs> well, this is a stretch. The thing is, you want to keep it up. Even when your calendar gets full to the point that you can't even imagine putting another program on it, keep calling. Because at some point, if you let your funnel go dry, you're going to have to start the process all over again. So just keep calling. Five calls a day, not a big deal. We're taking it to the street with another episode of Hallways, Lobbies, and Bars. Hallways, Lobbies, and Bars with the one and only Lou Lessig. We're talking about smart, lead-generating speaking. Go. I have to say, I really enjoy the ability to talk from the stage because I have the ability to let people know what I do in a different kind of a way. So if I'm going to 
let's say, talk for um, folks in the HR space. We'll have a conversation and I'll be talking to them, let's say, about the top 10 employment cases of the year. And each one of those cases leads into the kind of work that I'm doing on a daily basis, what I'm providing to clients, and then I hop into the case. And then I come out of the case and say, here's what you want to take out of that. Leaving them with the idea of saying, oh, wait, I'm wondering what I'm going to do later. And I want to be able to talk with you more. And that's at the end of the, when we're all done, we're having this whole conversation later about what kind of legal work I can do for them. Now let's talk about that that pivot. So you come off stage, do people literally jam business cards in your hand? Do they call you after email? What's the follow-up mechanism that typically happens? Well, of course they love me because I just was on the stage. They were all clapping for me when I was coming down. Uh, nine times out of 10, it tends to be a soft sell because everybody knows a lawyer. But the advantage is I'll plant seeds throughout my talk so that they have an idea of sort of the kind of way that things will work. Best story actually wasn't even on stage. It was after that, we're sitting down talking. Someone comes up to me literally at a meeting before dinner, hands me a business card and said, you know what? I've heard you speak. That was a great reason. I have my board meeting next week. Call me after it. I don't like my employment attorney. We got to do business together. So lead generating speaking, the way that you target, the way that you focus, the way that you select those prospect rich audiences is important, yes, and you don't just do it willy-nilly. Of course, it's incredibly important, and I certainly say no more often than I say yes, but if I think that there are folks that are of a certain size, that's sort of my sweet spot for my business, I'm absolutely gonna do it. And that's where the money's at. Exactly. This is Ben Wolf, and I'm here with Sylvie DeGiusto. We are co-chairs of the 2018 Winter Conference, The Future of Speaking, which will be where, Sylvie? In Baltimore, in the amazing city of Baltimore, Maryland, from February 16th to 18th, 2018. We are so thrilled about this conference because the future of speaking is not just about daydreams and fantasies, about robots and drones. It's an opportunity for us to learn, really learn actionable tools and tactics and strategies that are designed to change your business going forward. And what I am super excited about uh, is that this year we have included and involved the million dollar group into uh, this conference. And obviously those are the people, the speakers and entrepreneurs in our organization who have figured it somehow out, right? And we are going to learn from them best practices and how they think about the future of speaking, how they prepare for the future and what we can learn to be possibly one day part of the million dollar group. You know, one of the frustrations I always have with conferences is that I take notes and notes and notes and I'm so excited about what I'm going to do when I get home, but then I never do it. And I'm sure I'm not alone. So one of the things we're planning for winter conference are labs. This is an opportunity for you to come with your laptop to open it up, be there with your colleagues, and learn from experts so that when you leave, you will already be ahead of where you were when you came. 
And it's just one of the many presentation formats that we're going to try at the conference because uh, what is very clear about the future is that the future of conferences will not be anymore to have a long opening keynote, to have a long closing keynote, and in, in between we put keynotes and just call them different, right? So in the future we will see a lot of new presentation formats with all in common that they are short, value-packed, interactive, and engaged more with the audience, even when you are possibly not in the room. So one of the things that speakers are always interested in, and they're interested in now, and they'll be interested in the future, is how do we get sold? How do people buy us and our expertise? And in this conference, you will learn from the meeting industry, the people who buy speakers now and going forward in the future. And all of this sounds super exciting, and we are super excited about the future and uh, about this conference. But for some, it may also feel a little bit scary. And in some areas, actually, it should. So we are going to show you how you can protect yourself and protect your clients and your family in the fierce new jungle of topics like, for example, cybersecurity. So we can't guarantee that when you come to Winter Conference, you'll see Sylvie or me wearing our robot spandex costumes, but you will learn about the future of speaking. Tony Harris Taylor, you are the queen of how we as speakers can get known, get connected, get paid. Talk to me. Where'd that come from? Give me the basic blocking and tackling of the, the magic to make that happen. So my business is Drastic Steps Marketing. And what I know is that for entrepreneurs, business owners, it takes drastic steps to get known, get connected, and get paid. My marketing training paid off because they say talk in threes with marketing. <laughs> what are the problems you solve? And so I help entrepreneurs to take baby steps that feel drastic in order to get paid ultimately. Okay, so let's let's break this down. So we're we're pretend, let's pretend you and I are speakers. I know it's a big leap. Right. We're taking, it's ooh, a big, stretch. It's a stretch, but we're we're going to go there. We're speakers, we probably have a website. Yes. We may have an email list even if it's small right now. We probably have a blog. We obviously have our phones to take video. We've got a YouTube channel. All of these assets are out there and I'm going to say many of us aren't using them the right way or the best way. True or false? True. All right. Let's let's break that down one piece at a time. Starting with the website, what are some do's and don'ts? What's some of the good, the bad, and the ugly that you see out there in your work? Well, the first thing I see is no website. No website would be bad. Yeah. And unfortunately, still too many speakers and coaches don't have a website. And then I see out-of-date websites next. Right, they have the copyright at the bottom. Haven't been touched in too long of a period of 2011 time. 2011. I know is not up to date. No, it's yeah. not, and it's not mobile friendly. Yes. Right? And so now our websites have to look a certain way. But I would say the best or the worst thing that I see is they don't have a way to capture the visitors who visit the site. And when you go to my site. Whether you hate them or love them, I really don't care. I want your information. So a pop-up comes up 
to gather your information so you can so I can grow my email list. And again, just if people want to have a look at that as an example, as a case study, it's drasticstepsmarketing.com and uh, you will be forced, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be compelled, you'll be seduced That's into right. giving Tony your email address. Because I give away something, there which you is go. the next thing I So if you want missing. to see this in action, that's what you want to check out. Uh, all right, how about things like video, things like, if we have an email list, if we do have some email collection mechanism, talk to us about video, talk to us about email, talk to us about, again, all the kind of stuff that maybe we have uh, at our fingertips, but mm-hmm. we're just not using the right way. Mm. So the Get Connected comes from uh, social media, videos, email marketing. Those are all tools that uh, we may be using, but not using them to the full. Email marketing, I get a lot of pushback on that sometimes when I speak about it because people say, well, they don't open their emails. Well, you know, every time we watch a commercial, they don't know if we're picking up the phone just because of the commercial. It's your way of showing up. It's a touch point. That's right. So half the battle to success is showing up. That's what marketing is, showing up over and over and over and over again. And so it's up to us to put our message in front of people. And a lot of times, you know, as speakers, we we think we're too busy and we're missing out. And I've gotten a lot of business because I showed up in the inbox at the time the person needed me the most. So... Now let's let's break that down because I know a lot of speakers that if they have some email marketing going on they're asking questions like Tony how often should I send an email? Do I send the once a month email newsletter? Do I send a weekly, like a Tuesday tip, a Friday fresh, you know, something, a Thursday throwback? <laughs> what do I do? Do I do it daily? Oh, please! How much not. email is too much email? And then what's more important? What's the right kind of email? Is it information or is it information? with a call to action or some sort of next step to get you a check in the door? So, first of all, not daily. Not daily. Please no. Please you'll no. drive yourself crazy just trying to come Probably up with drive the your content. prospects and clients crazy. Absolutely. You know, the rule of thumb is at least once a month, bi-weekly would be great. If you have quality content to deliver, Don't just show up just to show up. Give me something of value, which goes into one of the things you asked about, and that's videos. I'm amazed how many speakers still don't want to do a video. You know, if you don't like the sound of your voice, which actually I'm not crazy about the sound of mine, but the the way you look and perfection, get over it. Right? Video is the wave of the future. We've all seen the statistics. It's actually here, it's not the future, it's here. We've all seen the statistics. So two minutes on your expertise, in front of a video camera, on your computer, in your home office, with some energy can really get you booked because they can see that you have a presence and you deliver with excitement and energy. So I would say if I'm gonna deliver every two weeks, put a little two minute video talking about what you already know and people will appreciate that and put video in the subject because people like video. So that's what I would recommend. We're talking about a couple of things here, one is do the two-minute video. Second thing is then repurpose that two-minute video to make that the centerpiece of your email marketing. 
And then I guess we can also take that video, the same video, and put that on our YouTube channel, put in a little SEO keyword juice, a little yes. search engine optimization yes. for things like marketing speaker, things like marketing, you know, digital marketing speaker, things that you would put in Absolutely. there. Absolutely. And uh, then have a library of these videos on YouTube that are always doing your SEO for you essentially on autopilot, Absolutely. but also feeding your email content marketing so that you're always showing up in their inbox with two minutes of value. So here's what I do. I blog, I put the video with written content because Google likes writing. So I put the video with written content on the blog. And that's a transcript or that's just additional commentary? No, it's, it's commentary. Okay. For me, it's commentary. And then I, and the video's on YouTube first, so that's the first step. Put it on the blog, link it to the YouTube, Put it on social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Those are my platforms, whatever your platforms are. And then put it in the email box. I'm not going to miss them. Because here's the thing about marketing. you got to reach people where they are, not where you think they ought to be. And so that means you have to put it in various places. So therefore, you hit them where they are. And don't worry about them seeing it more than once. You know, that's good. Repetition is the mother of retention. So that means you're serious about your business if they see you more than once. Yeah, I love that. And I, you put your finger on such a great point there also, which is, you know, some of our listeners may be skewing towards that age 40s, 50s, 60s kind of demographic. They say, you know, I don't watch a lot of video. Well, hey, it's not about you, is it? It's about who are the audiences right. that you're trying to reach. If you're not a big consumer of video, that is not an excuse not to be a big producer of video. Absolutely. And so you don't want to input your habits on thousands of people right? Yeah. Reach people where they are, where they want to be reached, and you, you will win. I've gotten many speaking gigs because, and for me, um, oftentimes I'll use an acrostic, the S in drastic is show up. These are just ways to show up. And I've gotten more speaking gigs because I've shown up at the right time. Yes, absolutely. So again, your, your magic formula there at Drastic Steps is get known, get connected, get paid. I know what my favorite part of that is. It's gonna be about getting paid. So let's talk about some tips and secrets and strategies. Tony, what can we do to get paid more and more often? You know, uh, David, the challenge for entrepreneurs is we love our widgets. Whatever we are making, selling, speaking about, but we really don't wanna sell it. And I think where a lot of people, and you'll love this, where a lot of people are lacking is they don't get the training. They don't get the coaching to become comfortable with sales. And sales is not a nasty four-letter word. It fuels our economy. And so if you It's a five-letter word last time I checked, so yeah. <laughs> well, sale yeah, by itself. There you itself. go. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a five-letter word, but it's not a nasty word, which is the point. And so get some sales training. Get some coaching. I'm going to do you one step better. So yes, 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 and yes. Please get some sales training. I know a lot of speakers, myself included, until a few years ago, I took a ton of sales training. I took a ton of sales coaching, and I still didn't like to sell. So it's not even about the skill, right? Because we can work hard, hire all the great coaches, hire all the great mentors, read all the great sales books. When it comes to 
how much sales activity are you doing right. on a daily basis? How much sales activity are you doing on a weekly basis? A lot of our speaker colleagues, consultants, coaches, they're looking at their shoes. They're going, well, Tony, I'm not really doing enough. Probably I could do more. I don't really feel good about that. How do we get over that mental, not the skill barrier? You got to get over the skill barrier first. How do we get over the mindset barrier? that selling is, it's not our job, it's dirty, it's nasty, we don't like it, it's pushy, it's, it's, it's. Sleazy, slimy, yeah, you got all it. of that, yeah. How do we, how do we get rid of that once and for all? Here's how I got past it because I had my own hangups around sales. What I offer is extremely valuable and the world would be less if they didn't have it. And that's what I had to get in my mind, that I was not serving the people I needed to serve if I was in my head about telling them what I had to offer and asking for the money. The other thing is, is that you give people an opportunity to serve themselves when they pay. Right, And this is really a message for coaches out there because we coach because we have a heart in most cases. But if Huge you mistake, by the way. Do, do not have a heart, folks. Big mistake. It's costing you thousands. It does cost, but you can have a heart if you put that heart in the right place. You're funny, David. Uh, if you put that heart in the right place and help them to see that if they pay for it, they'll make the changes that are necessary in their lives. And now, your NSA national president and mine, and overall good guy, Brian Walter, CSP, CPAE. Hi, Brian Walter here, and it's that time to once again explore how we can apply the official non-theme presidential concept acronym, WSLTC, WISLITSE. Now, of course, you know the WS or WIS stands for Want Something, and the LTC or LITSE stands for Leverage the Community. You did know that, right? Today, we're focusing on application of the latter part of the acronym LITSE. I'm basing this entirely on an idea thought up by Rob Peck, speaker and juggler extraordinaire from NSA New England. Rob calls it Peer Plugs. I love that, not just because of the alliteration, though that helps. Here's the context. At some point in most of our speeches, the audience eventually gets tired of believing everything we're saying just because we're saying it. So, we feel compelled to share snappy quotes. And those quotes are almost all from dead people. I know this because I've done extensive research on the use of quotes in presentations. And by extensive research, I mean Google. But I went to the second page of results, so that pretty much qualifies me as an expert. What I found was that about 90% of all quotes ever shared by speakers is attributed to either Abraham Lincoln, Mark Twain, Ben Franklin, Henry Ford, Eleanor Roosevelt, Steve Jobs, Maya Angelou, Albert Einstein, Beyonce, Winston Churchill, Gandhi, or Oprah. And yes, I realize Beyonce and Oprah are still alive. Now, Rob Peck's idea is, why quote mostly dead people when we could be quoting each other? Let's see this up. Leverage the community. Give a peer plug to a fellow NSA member and quote them. For example, in a speech, Rob says, when it comes to parenting, my friend and speaker colleague Dan Thurman sums it up with an insightful turn of phrase. There's no present like the time. 
It's so easy to get the value of Rob's peer plugs idea. Simply quoting the standard icons as banal at best and a kind of motivational speaker cookie cutter stereotype at worst. So instead of featuring insights from people who are already successful, famous, and dead, there's a freshness and unique kind of credibility that we can realize when we quote an expert we personally know. Now, NSA members don't have the gravitas of industry titans or historical figures, but we do craft insights in mentally sticky ways. This got me thinking of the NSA topic experts I could cite with their punchy spot-on quotes, like Linda Keith. Most of us learn from our failures, but we fail to learn from our successes. Shep Hyken, customer service is the new marketing. Ana Leada, boomers say we dream of work-life balance. Millennials say we demand work-life balance. Or I could return the favor and quote Rob Peck himself. Pits are also seeds. When we quote each other, we create a virtuous circle of credibility and visibility within our membership. It's not something we can do on our own, only together. And that is another way we can leverage the community. Wislitzy. And you can quote me. Welcome to another VOD. I want to talk to you today about a sense of urgency. I see a lot of small and solo businesses. I see a lot of them succeed. I see a lot of them fail. People sometimes say, well, you know, why do most of these small and solo businesses go under? Is it a lack of money? Is it a lack of leads? Is it a lack of sales? Is it a lack of focus? And I would say it's not any of those things. What it is, it's a lack of urgency. So let's take us out of the speaking business for a moment. Pretend you opened a beautiful, fantastic, amazing restaurant. And this restaurant, you'd poured your heart and soul and every penny that you had into the decor, the food, hiring the best chefs, hiring the best wait staff, and you've got $15,000 a month of overhead expenses, and the food is stocked in the fridge, and the waiters are ready, and the tables are set, and it's opening day. It's six o'clock. You open the doors, and nothing. Crickets. Not a single person walks into your beautiful brand new restaurant. The first night, I'm guessing you'd be puzzled. Maybe the ads didn't run. Maybe maybe the signage is broken. Maybe somehow your, your website's not working. Maybe open table didn't register your, your listings. So you open the second day. And the second day, the same thing happens. And your wait staff is looking at each other, wondering what's going on. And the food's starting to get a little bit less fresh in the refrigerator. And after two days, of not a single customer, you would be freaking out. If the restaurant is open a third day with no patrons, no business, no diners, no nothing, you would be apoplectic. You would get into massive, massive action. You would do absolutely everything that you could. You'd start calling your friends. You'd start calling your family. You'd start putting, you'd start walking around with sandwich boards downtown. You would be couponing. You'd be going crazy. Why do we not have the same sense of urgency in our speaking-driven business? Why do we not get into massive action when we go for one day or two days or three days without a sale? And I'll tell you, the problem is a lot of times 
speakers go for weeks and weeks or months and months without making a sale. This sometimes happens even to the pros. Even our CSP, CPAE Hall of Fame members sometimes have a $0 month. The big difference? They are getting freaked out and they kick into massive action with an incredible sense of urgency to fix that problem, get that next booking, get that next client, get that next check. If you want to increase your success, increase your sense of urgency. Holy smokes, are we at the end already? Really, that's it? Wow, all right, see you next time on Voices of Experience. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.